Won't you agree with me in prayer again this evening? How many believe the Lord's got something good for us? It's not based on me, and you're not limited to me, but he's here. Not just you and I are here, but he's here. Glory to God. He's here. How many believe God will speak tonight? God will touch and move tonight. That's a wonderful thing. If people knew this, that God was really talking in here and moving in here tonight, they'd beat the doors down, get me. But he is. I said he is. Why? Because we're here. And where we're gathered together, believe in God, he's here. And where we look to him and ask him, he answers and responds. So let's pray and release our faith. Father God, we agree together and come together as touching this thing that we want to hear from you. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Give everybody ears that hear and eyes that see and a heart that's open and receptive. Give us what you want us to have, Lord, today, tonight. Just what's pertinent and applicable for right now. A supply of the Spirit, a quickening, an impartation, a deposit of your truth and of your precious holy things. We'll not despise them. We'll not ill-esteem them, but we'll treasure them. They're precious to us. We want to hear them. We want to see them. And we'll keep them. And we purpose not to be forgetful hearers, but by your grace and help to put it into practice and be doers of the word. And we know as we do, you watch over your word and you're faithful to perform it. And we will be blessed and we'll increase. And we say we are increasing right now. We're increasing. We're going from grace to grace and faith to faith and glory to glory. Hallelujah. To your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Glory. You know, people that don't know God just don't understand why we act the way we do or why we why you want to stand up there and holler glory. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. It's not just all hype and hoopla. God is real and He's wonderful and He's good. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. The Bible says, you know, in, in, in everything, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord without ceasing and praise and rejoice evermore. I mean, when the conversation lulls and you don't know what, don't know what to say, it's always appropriate. Yes. Glory. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Well, smile at your neighbor. See if they look like they believe all this. And uh, you can be seated. Glory to the Lord. Thank you, Master, for being so good to us. Glory to God. You know, for the believer, for the Christian... This is as rough as it gets. You know what I mean by that? I mean, this life, the things we deal with in this life, this is as bad as it gets. And we got victory down here. Amen. And after this, it's just glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable. And full of glory. Well, turn with me to scripture we've looked at in every session so far to the 110th Psalm and to the first chapter of Isaiah, Psalm 110, Isaiah 1. You want some more of this tonight? Good, because that's what I got. How many have not been with us in any of these sessions? Won't you lift your hand? Let me see. So if I need to review a little bit for you, okay, we're sure glad you're here tonight. And sure, thank, appreciate everybody coming back repeatedly and supporting the meeting. And we know we got a lot of folk that have traveled and driven some distance and come in. We appreciate that. And uh, you're not just honoring uh, the pastors in the church here or me, but you're honoring the Lord. Amen. Amen. In doing this. And I know sometimes it's not easy, but, you know, if everything was just real easy, everybody would have it already. <laughs> but it's the hungry that get these precious things. Amen. So I... I appreciate your heart. And, and you know, it, it, sometimes folk don't realize that you being here makes a difference. Uh, if you'll come and bring some hunger and bring some faith, you help us with the service. You help the ministers. Amen. You actually help the Lord. 
you help the Holy Ghost do what he wants to do because he, he only has a legal right to do things in the earth when people believe him. And when you come and bring some faith and you say, I want God and I want to hear from God. I want to see the will of God done. And you come and sit down. You're not just a sitting there. You're active in the spirit. Yeah. Amen. And a bunch of folk come together like that and believe in God together. You know that's when the great things happen. And even in the book of Acts, when they're all in one place and one mind and one accord, man, the Holy Ghost gets to falling, manifesting himself. I'll take all of that I can get, won't you? Psalm 110, are you there? 110th Psalm. Let's begin again at the first verse. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of your enemies. Can you rule in the midst of your enemies? Even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. Even though there are demons and the curse and crazy people all around. Can we still exercise dominion? Can we still have victory in our domain? Yes, we can. The Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule thou. In the midst of your enemies, your people shall be willing in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Look at that phrase again. Your people, God's people, that's us, right? Your people will be willing, shall be willing in the day of your power. God has great power. And there are legalities involved as to its manifestation in the earth. He is everywhere right now. But he, his power is not manifest everywhere. I mean, there are places you might step off a plane, different places on the face of the earth today, and you might think, man, this is a God-forsaken place. God's not here. It doesn't feel like he's there, but he's there. I said he's there. But the problem is he's not, his power, his grace, his love is not in manifestation to any substantial degree. And why would that be? Is there a reason is there, we can see in this verse why that would be? Does the willingness of the people affect the degree of the manifestation of the power of God? Oh, does it? Does it? You know, Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin if you've heard him talk about some of these things, he said that uh, uh, some years back when he was traveling so much in the churches, and he said he'd go to one place, and they'd have uh, a lot of manifestations of the Holy Ghost, word of knowledge, and gifts of healings, and special faith, and working of miracles. And he'd go to another church, and they're not having these. He'd get to praying about it, even fasting. I do, you know, a lot more praying than he usually did, a lot more fasting than he usually did, and just not have a fraction of what they had in the other place. He'd go to another church later and not do any special fasting or praying and just have a lot of these things happening. And so he, uh, he got to seeking the Lord. Lord, what, what is this? It doesn't seem like I'm, I'm not changing it by my extra praying and fasting. What's going on here? And he said the Lord took him to the First Corinthians, and you know, he said to him in First Corinthians to desire spiritual gifts. And he said to Brother Hagin, he said, I, I didn't just write that letter to John Smith in the church at Corinth. I wrote it to the whole church for them to hunger and desire and want these things. Amen. Amen. You know where the Holy Ghost goes? Where he's wanted, where, where he's appreciated. Now, I mean, he's everywhere present, but I'm talking about where he manifests, where he manifests himself. And so he began to see that, that some places he would go, maybe they're good people, maybe they love God, but they just wasn't hungry for these things. They weren't desirous of these things. They were just pretty self-satisfied and complacent where they are. And that's a problem. We need to want what he wants. Amen. I was talking to a fellow some years ago, and he was antagonistic toward the prosperity message. He didn't like what I was preaching. I was preaching pretty strong about it, that God wants you to prosper. That, it, that Jesus became poor, didn't he? Yeah. With our poverty, that we might through that be made rich. Is that part of the redemptive plan? Yeah. Did he pay a price for this? Yeah. It cost him. 
He paid a dear price for this. And so this fellow said, well, I don't care about that. I don't need, you know, as long as I got something to eat and I got clothes to wear, that's all I care. I, you know, I don't, I said, all right, okay. But would you yield to the will of God? <laughs> Maybe you don't care. But if he wants you blessed, would you submit to his will? He looked at me like I slapped him. He never thought of that before. <laughs> Maybe you don't care. But if God cares... Amen. And a lot of times it's the people that are not hungry for money that he wants to pour a lot of money through. Because you won't let it stick to you. You won't get hung up over it. If you really are as immune to wealth as you claim to be, well, you're the perfect one for God to use to just pour millions through. (laughs) But no, a lot of times that ain't the case. The case is folk are spiritually lazy. And they don't want the responsibility of sowing for this. Uh Uh-oh, what am I doing now? (laughs) It's true, though. But no, would you submit and yield to the will of God if he wants you blessed? That's pretty weak. Let me read this verse again. Your people (laughs) shall be willing. Are you willing to be rich? Yeah, that's better over here. Yeah. Think about it. Are you willing to be rich? Now, that might sound like a foolish question, but didn't Jesus look at the man that had been sick all those years and say, Wilt thou be made whole? That might seem like a silly question, but it's not. It's not. You can get comfortable where you are. It's not taking any effort on your part. You can be spiritually lazy. I mean, it, it's work, spiritually. It takes faith to get up every morning and you stay on that thing. Even though it looks like it's not happening, it looks like it's too big for you, you stay after it and you sow your seed and you keep claiming it and you keep believing it. And even though time passes and it looks like you're further from it than you were, you don't give up, you don't quit. It takes some faith, takes some effort, spiritual effort. But are you willing? Yes. Are you willing to be blessed of the Lord? Yes. Are you willing to be rich? Yes. Amen. That's not everybody, but it's a few people. <laughs> Do you realize by your lack of... There's some folk that are right here now. You're looking at me, and you don't know if you agree with this or not. But do you realize by that lack of response, you indicated you're not willing? Are you truly unwilling? If God wants to pour money through you, are you unwilling to do it? Some folk are. That's just where it's at. Let me go on. (laughs) Isaiah, the first chapter. (laughs) Isaiah 1. (laughs) You know, I've dealt with people before that were unwilling to receive healing. Absolutely. Unyielding, unwilling. Why? Because they were so hung up in the doctrine of it might not be his will. And it was so ingrained in them and ingrained in their daddy and mama and grandma and grandpa for generations until they actually, I mean, you, you'd have thought I was trying to get them to take drugs or something. They'd just fight, fight me like, no, 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 I don't believe in that, I don't believe in that. Well, they're unwilling. You know, on one hand, they want to be healed, but on the other hand, no, no, I don't believe that. You know that there are people that would like to see different ministers that preach prosperity. They'd like to see them go broke. I've heard some of these. Yeah. Yeah. They'd like to see people like me. Go belly up. They'd like to hear about it. Because it would prove to them it would prove that their doctrine is right. But I'm willing. <laughs> I'm willing to be healed. I'm willing to be rich. Yeah. I've been through too much mud now. I ain't going to back off now. After a while, you build up a little immunity. Your skin gets thicker. Amen. Is it part of the redemptive plan? Did Jesus take 
poverty among himself, on himself, excuse me. Did he take it on himself? Did he bear it? Then we have a right. Now, I mean, we ought to make up our mind. If he paid that kind of price for it, bless God, I'm going to have it. If it takes a hundred years, I'm going to have it. Amen. I'm not backing off. I'm going to have it. Isaiah 1, do you believe it? Verse 19. If you be what? Willing. 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 Does willingness play a big factor in prosperity? Oh, yes. Can you see that? I mean, bigger than many have thought. Willingness. Willingness. I wonder how many folk there are that God wants to bless beyond where they are, but they just don't want to hear it. It's too much trouble keeping up with all that money. Money's a responsibility. It is. I mean, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm not at the level I want to be, but just getting a little bit more. People treat you differently. A lot of times you, you have to check your heart to see whether they're just trying to get something out of you or whether they really are your friend. I mean, um, it's a responsibility. But are you willing to take that responsibility? See, that's not very strong, is it, guys? If you hear that, it's just... <laughs> but yeah, okay. You are? Me and you, brother. All right. <laughs> no, there's a lot of us in here. Verse 19. If you be what? Willing. Willing. And we'll go ahead and do it. Obedient. Tell me what will happen. What the living word of God that cannot fail said would happen. When you get like that, willing and obedient, and you stay with it, you will eat the good of the land. Hallelujah. Now, nobody can tell me that doesn't work. I came from Brokeville. Telling me this doesn't work would be like coming to a man who's in a swimming pool doing the backstroke, telling him there's no water in that pool anymore. He's wet. You cannot explain to him that there's no water. Right? Amen. Well, I'm wet. Yeah. Amen. Not as wet as I want to be, but I'm I'm getting there. Amen. Glory to God. And, you know, I'm not claiming I've been perfectly obedient or even perfectly willing all the time. But I have been some, I know. And the Lord has blessed me. Amen. I'm living in some good of the land. I'm driving some good of the land. I'm wearing some good of the land. Amen. I, I eat the good of the land. I fly in the good of the land. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, there was, a, there was a lot of years I didn't. I said, there was a lot of years. I'd look at the closet and it was wore out, dumpy looking stuff. And I'd say, thank you, Lord, for dressing me in the best. There was a lot of years I drove wore out cars. Get out there on a cold morning. Thank you for this car, Lord. And thank you that I also drive. The good of the land. Amen. See, it's not the person that tries it for two weeks that sees it come to pass. It's the person that commits to it. That'll say it. That'll believe it. That'll confess it. That'll act on it for year after year after year if it feels no different. Because it's either true or it's not. And if it's based on the word, it's true. And that word's not going to change. So you shouldn't change. Just stay with it. If you be willing and obedient, you shall, you will eat the good of the land. I believe it. I said I believe it. Well, if someone is not eating the good of the land, you know, year after year and decade after decade, it would be something to check up on. Are you, in fact, willing? 
Are you in fact obedient? We share the testimony you perhaps have heard about Brother Hagin, how that he said he left his church, last church that he pastored, went into the traveling ministry, and he was suffering financially, and, and eventually he got to seeking the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I don't, you said if I were willing and obedient, I'd eat the good of the land. He's quoting that verse to the Lord. He said, Lord, I obeyed you. I left my last church, and I'm not even eating decently. I mean, my kids are not clothed properly. Living in this little place, not housed adequately. And eventually the Lord spoke to him and said, well, the reason you're not is because you don't qualify. He said, don't qualify. I obeyed you. I left my last church. I did what you told me to do. I'm out here on the road. Left my comfort and security. And he said, yes, but you didn't do it willingly. You did it, but not willing. I mean, that's half the verse, isn't it? Right? Is it enough that you just do a thing? Or does it make all the difference what heart you do it with? He said he got it. And he said it didn't take him all day. He just reached inside and made an adjustment and said, Lord, I'm willing now. Now I'm willing. You know I'm willing. The devil knows I'm willing. And he said immediately things begin to change. He began to come up. Amen. It makes a big difference. Now we talked, you know, for the last several sessions about the right heart, uh, about the... um, Well, let me give you this definition before I go on. Instead of saying willing here, uh, the definition says, if you, the the literal says, that that means to breathe after or to long for. It means literally desire and yieldedness. If you want the will of God and if you will yield to the will of God, then you will eat the good of the land. We talked about how that you could do a right thing and your heart not be right. We, we showed you examples of how you could even make a mistake and yet your heart was right before the Lord. We looked in 2 Corinthians a couple of times about how that the, he said if the willingness is there, the gift is accepted. And about how our condition of heart determines Uh, whether our gift or our work is acceptable to God or unacceptable, or whether it's blessable or not blessable of the Lord. Now, I want you to go on over today, or tonight rather, to John 7, and tonight I want us to get into some of the immediate and direct effects of getting willing. It'll make you even more excited about it. Does it take a long, long time to get willing? No. If you're not willing to do a thing, if you go on and do it anyway, will it be acceptable? No. Well, then if you're not willing, does that mean that you shouldn't do it? No, it means you should get willing. Right. (laughs) Get willing. And then do it willingly. And like Brother Hagin mentioned, it didn't take him all day to get willing. He just reached the inside, made the adjustment. He saw where he was missing it and made the adjustment and said, now I'm willing. You know I am. The devil knows I am. I'm willing. Now, when you get willing, it is amazing how quickly and how powerfully some things can change. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I'm going to share with you a number of instances of how this works. But in John 7, we'll see one of the first and one of the, one of the most powerful things that happens when you get willing. John 7, are you there? The seventh chapter of John, Jesus is speaking. The uh, Jews, uh, the, the religious leaders of the Jews were trying to kill him. The beginning of the book says, he knew that his time was not yet come. And down in verse 14, he says, in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled and they said, how does this man know letters? How does he speak like this, having never learned? And Jesus answered and said, my doctrine is not mine, but it's his that sent me. If any man will do his will, did you hear that phrase? If any man, 
don't just isolate this. What is he talking about? Jesus was teaching and preaching powerfully. Revelation was, how many believe when Jesus taught, revelation flowed? I mean, life-giving. Revelation of the Word of God was coming out as he was speaking, and it, it was coming out in power and not so much in, in polished speech per se, and yet it was an eloquent flow. And they knew he was not an educated man. They knew he had not been to the seminaries, to the higher institutes of learning that the, their rabbis and their teachers had. And so it, it amazed them. They, they were listening to him, and they said, how does he speak like this? We know he never went to school. And Jesus didn't say, well, thing is, you got to burn the midnight oil, boys. <laughs> yes, sir, while others are playing, I'm a-praying. <laughs> well, no, that'd be him giving himself credit. Right? Do you know that you don't get revelation by hard study alone? You can study till your eyes fade and you fall off your chair and get nothing but reasoning unless the Holy Ghost reaches inside you and turns on the light and you see it. And that doesn't have to be in a chair at a desk. That can be in your car going down the road. That can be shaving in the morning or making a bed or whatever the case, right? And if we're walking in fellowship with him, yeah, I need to read the word. Yeah, yeah, you, you ought to study. But don't just trust in that to get your revelation. When you come to something in the word that you don't understand, just stop. Just take just a moment. It doesn't take 10 seconds. And say, Lord, teach me about this. Amen. Open my eyes to understand this. Reveal this to me and then get in faith. Now, you may not see it that day. You may not see it that week. But just stay in faith about it. You know, I've asked the Lord questions like that about the Word, and He answered me yes. ten years later. Yes. He did, Amen. when I wasn't even expecting it. But I remembered when it happened, that I had asked Him to teach me about that. And when He began talking to me about it, I mean, I heard an audible voice, but inside began showing me and causing me to understand it. I begin to realize that it's no wonder that he hadn't spoken to me about it before now. I wouldn't have understood what he was saying earlier. Do you know that there are some questions a three-year-old can ask that it's tough for you to answer? Yeah. Right? You could tell them, but they wouldn't know anymore after you got through telling them than before you did. So a lot of times we have to grow and get to some other places before he can talk to us about it. But the key is faith. A key is faith. Uh, and, and another part of it that works with the faith is the willingness. Now, the Lord is kind and gracious. He, he knows the hearts of men. And he knows the end from the beginning. He knows who will receive and who won't, who will reject. And a lot of times it's the Lord's mercy that he doesn't show some people some things. At least right then, because they'd only reject it. They'd only turn it away. And then they'd be responsible. And it could cause judgment to come on them. And a lot of times in the Lord's mercy, He knows people's hearts and He gives them time. Time to grow, time to repent, time to adjust. But when you get willing to hear it, when you get willing to hear that thing, He's ready to talk to you then, and sometimes it opens up whole other areas that you didn't even know were connected. Let me read this to you again from some other translations. He said, he's talking about teaching and preaching. He's talking about the word of the Lord, doctrine from God. And he said, verse 17, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's a powerful thing. To be able to hear anybody speak. Whether they're just talking to you on the corner. Or whether they're standing behind a pulpit. And to know whether it's of God. Or whether it's just of them. We're talking about a spiritual discernment. And we're talking about a flow of revelation. And it's connected with what? 
a willingness to do his will or a willingness to do what you hear, which is his will. Listen to these translations. The, the NAS says, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak from myself. The living says, if any of you really determines to do God's will, then you'll certainly know whether this teaching is from God or merely my own. A determination. You know, sometimes that's why we lead folk and say, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer of the Word of God. Sometimes I lead folk in that at the beginning of the service. It's a significant thing. Because if you're not willing to do it, if you're not willing to do anything with it, it'll limit how much you get. We ministers and all of us are told not to cast pearls before swine, not to give that which is holy to the dogs. What does that mean? Don't give precious things to people that don't appreciate them. And one, one way that you showed you don't appreciate it is you don't intend to do anything with it. The, uh, the Lord said to me some years ago, he said, uh, there's a misconception in your circles. I thought, a misconception? What is it? What, what's the misconception? He said, it is the concept that if you'll, quote, get in the word, it'll solve your problems. I thought, well, we sure hold that. Yeah. People believe widely in our circles that if you if you read the Bible enough, if you listen to enough good tapes, read enough good books, go to enough good meetings, that it'll solve your problems. That is not true. I said that is not true. It's certainly important, but what uh, what makes the difference is when you begin to do do what you've heard. Amen. Do what you've read. That's why people can go to meetings and have everybody in their brother and sister's tape series and books for years and still be in no better shape than they were. Have all kind of notes. Right? But it's not the one who's heard. It's the one who does. That's why sometimes somebody just got saved a couple of weeks. They'll come in and just in simple childlike faith, they'll just start doing something they heard. Just take it literally and just do it and act on it and get results that somebody else has been playing around for 20 years. Because they're still theorizing about it, talking about it, but not doing it. Doing it. Doing it. If any man wills to do his will, he will know. He will discern. He'll have revelation. Romans 1 says, you know it, you don't have to turn there, but it says, the righteousness of God is revealed, how? From faith to faith. And the just shall live by faith. Revelation comes by faith and by doing. Like I just said a moment ago, if you want revelation of the word, it takes faith. You don't just wait for it to fall off on you or or run it down. Ask the Lord to cause you to understand and then believe that he hears you and believe that he will and expect it. Get in faith. And by doing so, it'll come. If if you just pull your hair and get frustrated, then um, you're not in faith. You're, you're You're shutting the door. I know as a Rhema student. Some people came over to the, our little apartment one night, and we had a meal, and we were talking. Somebody brought up this particular uh, doctrinal point, and none of all of us put together wouldn't have had enough revelation to uh, <laughs> fill a handbag, but uh, we were talking to what we knew. And we kicked this thing around, did we? I mean, you know, somebody said they thought maybe this verse meant this. Somebody said, no, I don't think so. I think maybe it means this. And we went round and round and kicked that thing and discussed it and debated it. And finally we let it go and everybody got tired and went home. <laughs> I'm uh, laying in the bed that night getting ready to go to sleep. And the Lord spoke to me. I don't mean to heard an audible voice, but distinctly inside me. He said, son, do you want to understand that passage? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, now you're further from it than you've ever been. 
all this reasoning. Because what we had concluded is that you probably couldn't hardly understand that. It was just one of those really great mysteries. Well, well, is there any faith here? Was I expecting to understand this? Well, see, then it's revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. The revelation comes from faith to faith. And the more faith you get, the further you can reach in and lay hold. Amen on revelation and expect it to come. It's all tied in together with faith. But the faith is also connected with the will. The willingness. I know I was, um, this is, I don't know, 15 years or so ago. There was a certain thing that I needed some answers on about direction and provision and ministry. And I had prayed about this thing for months and just wasn't clear on it. I didn't have the answer. I couldn't get it. Every once in a while, the Lord would deal with me. I, when I say the Lord, I, I didn't want to admit it was the Lord. But something had come up in me about adding some things to my workload ministerially. Well, I didn't want to add anything else. Felt like I was already pretty busy. And this involved a lot more work and a lot more traveling, a lot more things. And I, I didn't want to look at that. So, you know... Uh, you know, if you admit this is God, then there's really only one thing left to do. So what, what people do is, is play games with their head and think, well, you know, I don't know what that is. And the moment you do, the devil is right there. He'll go, yeah, we don't know what that is. That's, that ain't God. We don't know what that is. That's just something came through your mind. You go, and you go, yeah, yeah, I don't know what that is. And um, rocked on month after month. Well, I was sitting, I remember distinctly, we were sitting in our little house we had in Broken Air at that time and sitting in a chair. Nobody was there but me. I just sitting there in, in, in the living room by myself in that big chair. Sometimes I'd study and pray in. And I just sat there and I was quiet. And that came up in my heart about me doing that, me, Phyllis and I doing some of those things in ministry that was going to really add some things to our workload. And I, and I thought, Lord, that's you, isn't it? Yeah, that's you. Nobody's there but me and him. And uh, so I'm just talking out loud softly. I said, Lord, that's you. Okay. All right. If you want me to do that, I'll do it. Fine. We'll implement that. We'll start that right away. And he spoke to me. He said, now I'm going to talk to you about this other thing. I thought, whoa. He began to minister. Give me the answer on this other thing that I've been praying about for months and I didn't realize they were connected. But I wasn't getting the revelation on that because I was pushing away that the direction on the other side. I didn't see the connection. I didn't see that they went together. But my, you know, I wasn't just trying to be ugly or in my own mind be an unwilling rascal, but, but there was some unwillingness there. I was hesitant. I didn't really want to look at that. I didn't really want to, to, to see if that was God. I checked it. I figured if I checked it out real close and saw it was God, well, then here I'm obligated. So I just kind of <laughs> pretended I didn't know what was going on over there. <laughs> now, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, I know. and there was some unwillingness. And that unwillingness was holding back revelation from me. Do you see that, friend? And that unwillingness was keeping me in a foggy state. If any man wills to do his will, what's the next phrase? What? What? He will know. Do you like this? If any man wills to do his will, he will know what's of God and what's not. I mean, is there anything more valuable than that? Knowing what's of God and what's not. But an unwillingness will cloud your judgment. An unwillingness will, will, will shut you off from further revelation. Why should the Lord say more to you about it? You don't want to hear what he's already said. Right? You've got to be willing... And it's not something that just happens one time in your life and that's the end of it. Uh, you know, every day... 
Every week, every month, every year, you got to stir yourself up again, check your heart. Am I willing to go anywhere, live anywhere? Do any people say they are, but I mean when it, when they're called on it so many times, they start backpedaling. I've seen people, I've prayed with people. They said, you know, they they, they watched our ministry and, and, and they thought, well, you know, we're blessed and God called them to the ministry and they said, you know, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do what you did. I'm gonna leave everything and I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna go in the ministry and, and, and maybe come back and say, Well, you know, I, I could only do it if God would take care of these debts for me, if he'd bring me the money and this and that. Well, you gotta watch about conditions like that, but in their babyhood state, I prayed with them. Lord, you know, do this for them. Get them in shape to go. And he did it. And they backed out. I've seen this happen repeatedly. And actually some sad things happened to them shortly after that. Some tragic things. And God didn't do it to them. But when you're unwilling, you, you, you hinder the plan of God. Well, if you're no longer in his perfect will, where are you at? You get, you get in a place where the enemy has some access to you. In dis- disobedience is his turf. Right? Spiritually, he has a right to do some things when you're in that realm and when you live in that, in that vein. Oh, friend, there's no place like the perfect will of God. Right. Amen. I'll never forget, you know, we were, when I, I was first year Rama. it's a whole testimony. I don't have time to tell you, but I mean, I was believing for every tank of gas. But the Lord brought in enough money, we went on a mission trip. I mean, thousands of dollars. We went on a mission trip, and while we were there outside the country, there was a military coup. I mean, it was amazing. We were passing out tracks, handing tracks across the wall, and just minutes after that, part of the people jumped over the wall and started shooting back at the people on the other side. Tanks came and surrounded the Capitol buildings. I never experienced anything like that. It was... Fear was in the street so that I have never experienced it. It, it. You could cut it with a knife, it felt like. It was tangible. Fear in the street. People grabbing their kids and grabbing their stuff and running for their life. And, and, and we went back to the compound. And we're in there. And I mean, just, you know, a hundred feet away in the street, you hear the bullet zinging. I remember that morning after that, I got up and then I went in the restroom and I'm washing my face. And I keep hearing this pop, 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 pop. I'm thinking, what is that? Sounds like firecrackers. And I realize, that ain't firecrackers. <laughs> Thank God we don't live like that. But it, we, we came and we, we knelt down. And we were, we were praying together and believing God for protection. And the leader of that ministry got up. And he said something I've never forgotten. He said, friends, he said... If we're here in the perfect will of God, he said, you are safer here than you would be in the states out of the will of God. And do you know it's true? We felt it. It was a cocoon of peace just came in us and on us. And we prayed. We prayed for that government. We prayed for what was going on. And you know, in just a matter of hours, that thing was over. And in a matter of days, they had a Christian president. Glory to God. But I've never forgotten that. You know, I mean, if you're out of the will of God, you might be in one of the lowest crime areas in the, in the place and step off the curb and not look and get hit by a bus. I mean, right? I mean, out of the will of God is a dangerous place. It's not the geographic place. It's the spiritual place. So watch about trying to play it safe. No, just obey God. See that you're in his will. Amen. And when he deals with you to do something, even though it seems like something your flesh might not like, don't fight it. Don't, don't buck against it. He knows you better than you know you. He knows the future. Friend, this is serious business. If I had time, I'd go in to give you some examples. Some of them are sad examples of people that I know personally. They told me, God told them, don't do this. Certain things in ministry and life. They told me. They didn't, they didn't waver about it. They said, you know, they told me. They had an experience. God said, don't do this. Don't go this way because they wanted to. And I was shocked beyond words when I heard years later, they're doing it. And some of them have lost 
children, they've lost spouses, they, they, they lost businesses, they lost companies, they lost their health, and God didn't do any of it to them. It's just that it's a dangerous place to get out of the will of God, to be unwilling to do what he's called you to do. Something that happens immediately. It happened with me sitting in that, that easy chair that day at the house. It, something that's branded in my thinking. The moment I became willing. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. That's you. I'll do that. We'll do that. It involved more work. It involved more travel, some more things. But I said, okay, if this is what you want, i live for you. What you want is what I want. Let's do it. And immediately, he said, okay, I'm going to talk to you about this other thing. And revelation started flowing to me about direction for my life and provision for my life and my ministry. Glory to God. The least bit of unwillingness, you cannot hide from God. He sees through all the junk and he knows your heart. And he knows whether you really are willing to serve him or whether you're not. You know, the story's told about a fella who... Uh, Believed he had a call on his life. And every time he'd get close to God, he had this thing on him that seemed like maybe God was talking to him about going to China. And he thought, man, I don't want to go to China. And so he'd, he'd backslide. He just wouldn't go to church or wouldn't pray. And he'd get duller to him and fainter to him. Well, then he'd get so miserable after several months, he'd come back to church and fall across the altar and repent and get back to God. And there that thing was again about China. <laughs> How many know God does not change? He deals with you the same way. And he thought, God. And so, I mean, he'd backslide again. He did this for years, in and out of church. Finally, he got so miserable, he came and threw a skiff across the altar and got back to God and cried and prayed and repented. And there that China thing was again. He said, God, okay, I've been so miserable. If you want, nothing could be worse than this. So if you want me to go to China, I'll go to China. He said, the Lord said, I don't want you to go to China. But I knew you were unwilling to go. And as long as you're unwilling, I can't use you. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. You can't say, Lord, now I'll do this. But I ain't doing that. <laughs> then you don't qualify to do this. Everybody say willing. And obedient. Willing. And obedient. Go with me over, if you would, to... Uh, to John, the sixth chapter. John 6. This is the story of how Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat, go across the sea, the lake, and Jesus stayed and prayed. You remember that? And verse 16 said, when even was come, the disciples went down to the sea. They entered into a ship. And they went over the sea, verse 17, John 6, 17, toward Capernaum. It was dark. Jesus was not come to them. The sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So it got real rough. And so when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Be not afraid. Then they what? Willingly. Willingly received him into the ship. Now why would it say that? <laughs> Unless not long before. They were not. Because they didn't know it was him. They thought it was a ghost. A monster. <laughs> They didn't know what it was, but they saw something out there walking on the water, and they knew men didn't do that. <laughs> and it scared them out of their wits almost. People say, well, if I could see a miracle, I'd believe. That ain't what happened to them. They saw a miracle, and it scared them silly. <laughs> Seeing miracles doesn't give you faith. Faith comes how? By hearing the word of God. They willingly received him into the ship. 
And what? Notice this. Notice this. This is a miracle. And immediately the ship was at the land where they went. How many believe this happened just like this? Jesus actually literally walked on the water. The wet H2O. With the wind blowing and the waves rising and falling. And when he stepped into that boat, how many believe that even though they had been fighting and rowing and trying to get that thing to move in the storm and not making much progress, that just like that, boom, they're at the dock. That's a miracle. Notice what's connected to this miracle. (laughs) Willingness. The first thing I've shared with you this evening, when you get willing, revelation flows. When you get willing, direction comes. When you get willing, discernment comes. I mean, that's reason enough, isn't it? We could just back up to the text. Eating the good of the land is reason enough. Many, many reasons. But here, secondly, I've given you tonight, right now, when you get willing, you get there. When you get willing, immediately, you begin to move where you were supposed to go. Now, if you, read, if you go back and read Mark's account of this same happening, you'll find that the Bible said Jesus constrained them to get into the boat and go. I mean, that's a strong word. Uh, most of the translations say he made them. Why would you use such strong talk? Well, they've been with him all day. They've had some tremendous meetings. They didn't want to leave without him. They wanted to wait on him. But he said no. So right off the bat here, they they weren't fully willing to do this. They wanted to stay. And they get into the sea and they're rowing. And, And the Bible says in Mark 6, they toiled at rowing. They were working on it. Listen to this, you'll... You'll hear this again in just a moment. A lot of rowing, but little going. Amen. That'd preach, wouldn't it? Uh-huh. A lot of rowing, but little going. And then when they see him walking on the water, they don't want him in there. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he is. But the moment they heard the word, it's me, don't be afraid, said they willingly, everybody say willingly, willingly received him into the boat. Tell me what happens. As an act of willingness, they willingly received him into their ministry, into their work, into what they were rowing so hard to get to where it needed to be, and immediately it was where it needed to be. Had things sailed across those waves? And pulled up to the darkness like it had big engines on the back. Before they had engines. Now this reminds me really strong of another fella that had a boating experience. Who was unwilling (laughs) to do what the Lord wanted him to do. You want to go look at it just a minute? Go to Jonah. Go to Jonah, the first chapter. Can unwillingness get you in trouble? Can it get you in a lot of trouble? Oh, man. (laughs) Let's ask Jonah (laughs) if unwillingness can be a big problem. Let's just, there's just a few verses here in this first chapter. So let's just take the time and read it. You got time? You got time? You willing? Jonah 1, 1. Are you, Jonah's in the Old Testament. It's right after Obadiah. You go to Micah and back up. If you just go to the end of the Old Testament and start backing up, you'll get there pretty quick. Jonah, are you there? If not, look on with your neighbor. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Get up, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Was he willing to do that? He was, un- was he unsure about what God wanted him to do? No, he just was unwilling to do it. Can you get in a boat and go away from the presence of the Lord? Can you get in an airplane and go far enough to get away from the presence of the Lord? You can fly all day long and all night long and get you a Jeep and go to the furthest part of the outback. You can climb up behind a tree and as soon as you get there, God will say, what you doing? (laughs) What are you doing out here? It is futility to try to get away from the presence of the Lord. But people try. Did he try? Are there anybody trying today, you think? There are millions of people running from the presence of the Lord. Running from what they know they ought to do. But they're unwilling. Unwilling. Don't want to do it. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. It was really rough. The mariners were afraid and they cried every man to his God. Everybody gets to praying when it gets like this. You got no more atheists, no more agnostics. Everybody's praying. (laughs) They threw out the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. I mean, this is serious. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Laying there sleeping. This thing's pitching up and down. He just roll over and catch a few more Z's. So the shipmaster came to him and said, What meanest thou, sleeper? Get up and call on your God. So God will think on us that we perish not. And so they got everybody out and they said, come, let's cast lots. We may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. You know, they knew a lot of things that a lot of folk today don't even know. Even some of these heathen. Things don't just happen haphazardly. Did you hear me? The curse cause that doesn't come. No. Whenever things going bad, it just keeps going bad and just keeps going bad. There's a reason. We need to find out what it is. Get it fixed. Throw it out. Well, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. (laughs) And they said, uh, tell us, we pray you, who's caused this evil? What's your occupation? What do you do? Where'd you come from? What's your country? What people are you of? (laughs) He said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said, why'd you do this? (laughs) These are heathen talking to a preacher. (laughs) He told them how he ran away from God. And the heathen, I mean, these are the cussing, smoking, drinking sailors. And they said, what'd you do that for? (laughs) Why ain't you down there preaching right now? (laughs) Why have you done this? For the men knew he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea would be calm to us? For the sea wrought. The margin says it grew more and more tempestuous. While they're doing all this, it's getting worse and worse. And, and this is, this is you've got to commend him for this. He knew he was the problem. He could have hid it. He could have lied. He could, he could have said, I don't know why this is going on. This is unusual weather for this time of year, ain't it? I mean, whoo. We just must have got in the wrong shipping lane or something. It's, it's probably some of these idol worshipers over here. Yeah. Probably some of these. We probably got a devil worshiper on this boat somewhere. But he was man enough and on, man of God enough and integrity enough. He said, it's me. It's me. 
I'm the problem. He said, well, how are we going to get this fixed? He said, you're going to have to throw me off. <laughs> now, you know, you may fault him for some things, but here's a man. I mean, you know, you get thrown off of here. In this storm, you're a dead man. You're not going to make it out of that, naturally speaking. But he said, it's me. What are we going to do? You're going to have to throw me overboard. Because I'm the problem. But notice what? They had enough respect for him as a man of God. Verse 12, he said, take me up and throw me forth in the sea, and the sea will be calm to you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is on you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. The captain said, we ain't doing that. There's a man of God. I ain't throwing this man of God out. Rowers, <laughs> hit the oars. Row, row, row. And they rowed, and they rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. How many know that we've got a lot of rowing? And, and not much going. Right? Wonder if anybody else has ever done that before. When you got Jonah on board, I don't care how hard you work, how hard you row, there's only one thing going to get it fixed. We got to throw the unwillingness overboard. You can try to make it work. You can sweat, you can pull, you can roll, but it ain't going to work. Finally, they couldn't do it. In verse 14, they said, Lord, you know, don't let us perish for this man's life. Don't lay his blood on us. Because, Lord, you, you doing this, you know, this has just pleased you, this storm and all this. So verse 15, they took him up and they threw him in the sea. He hit the waves and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, that is something, isn't it? I mean, there's this huge storm. They pitch him over, cause splash and smooth. They say, well, that was a problem, all right, wasn't it? We got that unwilling preacher out of here, and this whole thing smoothed out. It's true. Now, I'm not going to read all this, but look at the next couple of verses. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. This is one rough place. I don't think we can imagine. I guess he gulped enough oxygen and air that's in there that he's got enough to breathe. But can you imagine? I don't want to be too graphic, but can you imagine? The acid that's in there. The smell that's in there. Oh. He said he had seaweed wrapped around his head. And he said, I cried by reason of my affliction to the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I. And you heard my voice. This is a type of Jesus being in the heart of the earth. The New Testament tells us. Tell me where unwillingness will get you. He hadn't died and gone to hell. But far as he was concerned, he was in it. Right? What will unwillingness do to you? It affects people all around about you. I mean, all these folk out here about died in this storm. The obedience and willingness of people can affect whole groups and whole cities and nations. The unwillingness and unbelief of people can affect groups. Unwillingness put him through what he called hell. But he had a change of heart, didn't he? It took three days, but he got willing. Didn't he? I said, he got willing. Reckon it would have been easier just to leave and go preach in the beginning. Wouldn't that have been easier and nicer? But he wasn't willing yet. When you get willing, 
what happens? You get there. When, he, when, when they were willing to throw unwillingness overboard, they got the peace and smooth sea they needed and could continue on to their destination. In the heart of this great fish, when he got willing, this thing landed at the beach. Right? And threw him up. And lo and behold, he had arrived in Nineveh. <laughs> when you get willing, you get there. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> now there's a real lesson here. There's a real message. The quicker you get willing, the quicker you get there and the easier it is on you to get there. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> Out of the belly of hell I cried, he said. Bless his heart. He went through a rough time. In Numbers 14, you don't have to turn there, but I'm closing with this. Numbers 14, you know how that God brought all the Israelites to the promised land and the spies went in and spied it out and they came back and 10 of them brought an evil report. And you know how that they did not enter in because they were unwilling to do what the Lord told them to do. But even after years of traipsing around in the wilderness, the Bible said in Numbers 14, God said, but Caleb, because he has another spirit with him and he has followed me fully, him I'm going to bring into the land. His seed's going to possess it. He's going to get there. He's going to get into it. He's going to possess it. And because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, the NIV says, and follows me wholeheartedly. I'm bringing him in. Did you hear that phrase? I'm bringing him in. I'm bringing him in. I'm bringing him in. Is God going to be able to bring you in? Hmm? Is God going to be able to show you all the revelation he wants to? All the plan for your life? Is he going to be able to get you into the places and in the connections that he wants to? What does he need out of you? He needs faith and he needs willingness. And he needs obedience. Yes. Amen. Yes. But I'm telling you a lot of things he won't even talk to you about until you get willing in your heart. You can pray with it. You can kick it around and talk about it. But he knows your heart. And until you're willing to do it, there's no need in talking about it. Oh, but when you get willing, things begin to unfold. Why not you stand on your feet? Declare it aloud. Say it out loud. I refuse. I refuse. To allow. Unwillingness, unwillingness to be in me, be in, me. in any degree. In any degree. Show, me, Lord, Show me, Lord, any part, any, part, any, area, any area, in anything in any that I've been unwilling, unwilling. and I'll repent. And I'll, repent. I'll, change. I'll change. You know best. You know best. Your, plan right. Your plan is right. And I purpose, and I, purpose. I, will I will to do your will. Cause me to know your plan and way. I will to receive you, to obey you, to go where you want me to go. Cause me to get there in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Master. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.